Maybe Bob for Almighty Yahweh. Kind Father in heaven, as the days approaching to your fall feast, your feast of the seventh month, we're so grateful that we have the opportunity to worship you in that way, to be blessed in such a way that goes all the way back to ancient Israel. We thank you, Almighty Yahweh, for showing us your truths. We pray that many more would see them and would follow them. For we know that the time is coming when all of this will come to an end, when Yahshua returns, the accounting will be made. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll bless this day, this as we fellowship, your Sabbath day, that each would go from here having grown and having learned and having resolved to be closer followers of Yahshua the Messiah. We thank you for the many who are searching that we might be a help to them. We might help to show them the ways that we understand are the ways of truth. And so as we prepare now for the message, may these words be yours and not mine. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Well, exactly one month to the first high day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's, it's just amazing how, and we knew it was going to come like gangbusters, it always does, you know, we think we have a lot of time, and, but thankfully we've had so many good volunteers who have come to help, to work, to get the facilities ready, to get the rec center in shape, it may not be perfect the way we want it, but it'll be usable, and that's what we want right now at this point. So I want to thank all those who have come. And I was thinking we've had brethren come from New York State, Idaho, Oklahoma, um, Nebraska, Minnesota, to come and help. I mean, it just, it's, it's really heartwarming. Because we know, as Yahshua said, what you do to the brethren, you do to me. So when you come to help, you're blessing Yahshua as well. If you're a baby boomer like myself, you've known that through the years of your life, you've influenced this world in ways unheard of in history. By sheer numbers of boomers, the social economic influences in our world have been made because of the boomers. From industries like music, fashion, entertainment, through the years, all geared toward this segment of the population. Still making history are all the advertisements aimed at boomers. You've seen them all. The drug commercials, the nursing homes, the hospitals. As these baby boomers have grown and aged, they have different needs. and So, so much of the economics is aimed at them still. Still shaping our world, but in a more sorry to say negative way, are another segment, there's another segment of young people who in growing numbers are growing up without many of the foundational mores and ethics of yesteryear. It's a commentary on our culture, helping to shape the culture as well. Yet there's no substitute for proper child rearing during the formative years, and I want to talk about that today and how important it is. A prime reason society is in its tailspin of secularization traces to a lack of proper biblical training of people and especially of children. You can expect well-behaved children when, when you have caring parents, and you can expect the worst when you have apathetic parenting. Believing parents have the serious responsibility to train up their children in the way they should go. It's not to be taken lightly. If you think about it, they're training those for the kingdom. How important is that? It's not just the best approach out there. It's a solemn command of Yahweh, which we find in Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of Yahweh. It must begin early, and it must be constant, day in, day out. It's not a part-time responsibility. It's an all-time responsibility to raise 
children the way the Bible tells us to. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It's a clear command that will impact your children's salvation. If you can mold that adolescent mind and point, point him in the right direction early, much of your job will be taken care of from the very start. You, as a parent, will save yourself a boatload of grief. And believe me, we've heard it all from broken families, from parents that can't deal with their children. Children have no regard for their parents, let alone the faith. It all goes back to the early non-rearing of these children in the ways of Yahweh. Now, I can't say that every child is going to turn out perfect. We have all sorts of examples in the scriptures. Lots of bad examples from the patriarchs. They all had, it seems, family problems with their kids. It doesn't mean they're all going to turn out right, but you've got to do your best effort. You've got to take it and go with it as Yahweh has commanded. You know, once you get it, the children pointed in the right direction, it, it just takes maybe a tweak here, uh, a little nudge there. Wherever the child runs off course, you get him back on again. It's a constant thing, though. You just don't let it go and do your own thing and let the child raise himself. But that's happening too much in our culture. The remainder of the child's training is just building on and enhancing that foundation that you set. Studies have confirmed that if you don't have your child firmly grounded by age 10, age 10, it's going to be unlikely that you'll be able to impact him much the rest of his life. Not impossible, but it's going to be very difficult. They've got to have it instilled in their mind the way to go, the right way of Yahweh. The adolescent brain is a work in progress. You know, we've, we've seen it. It must be shaped early on, and it must be shaped for good. It can go either way. It can go any which way. It's got to be shaped for right and for loving and respecting their parents and Almighty Yahweh. Few realize that there is an age of accountability in the Bible. We face those that believe child baptism is okay. According to scripture, it's not okay, and I'm going to give you reasons why. We see a biblical standard showing that young people should not be immersed until they each reach the 20th year of their life. We find at least six reasons for 20 as the age when Yahweh considers a child fully accountable. 20 is the age when they were considered adults in Israel and eligible to be counted as adults in the census. 20 was the age they could serve in the military figured they were mature enough to do that and not just cut and run when things got tough. 20 was the cutoff age for those allowed to work on the building of the temple. And this has spiritual parallels too. Building of the spiritual temple with the Holy Spirit. And again, that reflects on baptism. It was also the age the Levites could begin to serve in the temple. I believe it was David who lowered it from 30 to 20 in 1 Chronicles 23. 20 was the age they, could, they were to begin paying taxes so they could become responsible for their income and you know, give to, uh, give to the, uh, the government, which, of course, was, was Yahweh, his government. And most importantly... No one from the old population of Israel could enter the promised land, meaning those under 20 years of age, except, of course, for Joshua and Caleb. Nobody else could go in. Why? Because they figure, Yahweh figured, if you're less than 20, you were not accountable for the sins that Israel committed. You weren't of age to consider making a life-altering choice. So he says, if you're 20 and older, you can go into the promised land. You're mature enough in mind and heart. Yahweh, who designed our minds, recognizes that children younger than 20 are not ready to make the important life-changing 
decisions necessary for repentance and immersion. What's repentance? Does a child know what repentance is? I don't think so. They don't know what repentance is. They haven't even lived life yet. That's a travesty when the church started baptizing babies. That wasn't for the baby's benefit. That was for the church. What happens? I mean, he doesn't have any part in it as a baby. And children don't have much more. You know, this is very important. To repent means to turn your life around completely. A 180, you're going to live an entirely different way. Is a child ready for that? That decision? How about if he is baptized anyway and then decides it's not for him? Then what? A while back, the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania Post-Gazette carried a fascinating story about adolescence. The adolescent brain. University of Pittsburgh neuroscientists studied teenagers and basically came to the same conclusion as the Bible. The article noted that teens, 13 to 17, can do most things adults do. They can play sports, drive, work puzzles, solve problems. So why don't they do what they're told oftentimes? Why can't they plan, focus, behave, and control their emotions? Why do they engage in risky behavior that could endanger their lives, doing crazy things in cars and jumping off cliffs cliffs so that they become paralyzed. Why do they do stuff like that? In short, why can't adolescents act like adults? The conclusion of the study was that they can't function like adults because they don't have adult brains. It's that simple. As the article put it, the, the adolescent brain has not, I'm quoting, has not completed maturation. And the prefrontal lobe has yet to learn the skill of directing the mental orchestra. Instead, it functions more like a soloist, which limits its mental prowess. Interesting, isn't it? Simply put, the child's brain does not have its act together totally yet. Because of that fact, it's still in the shaping stage. And it could be very susceptible to lots of dangers. Baptism is reserved for the mature of mind and heart, for the person who fully knows what he wants, what he expects, and what's in it for the long haul. Is a child mature enough to understand that? This is no place for acting on whim, no place for peer pressure or parental pressure because they want their chit. We had a fellow early on, I think Brother Michael was there, very early assembly meeting, very, very early. And a brother there wanted his unbelieving children to get baptized. And we asked him, why? Well, that way they'll, they'll be in the faith. I think you might have the cart before the horse. It doesn't work that way. They make the decision once they're in the faith to become baptized, not the other way around. That's not going to work by magic just because they're baptized. doesn't work that way. It's not planned that way. It's not designed that way. Peter said in Acts 2, repent and then be baptized. Not be baptized and everything will fall into place. That's just ridiculous. So you're going to shape your life forever once you get baptized. Forever, the rest of your life. Are you ready for that? It's critical that a child's mind be aimed in the right direction from the time it reaches adulthood, and that's why parents are there to help shape it. A child's mind properly trained should be like a, you could call it a compass gyroscope. Whenever it gets off kilter, it readjusts and heads back to true north again. Some have argued that their adolescent son or daughter is mature enough for immersion. Well, it's wonderful that parents think that and believe they've done a great job, It's wonderful they think their son or daughter shows the fruits of a believer, but it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed when they're children, especially. Bible shows otherwise, and now neuroscience backs up the scriptures. You only get properly baptized once. You got one shot at it. 
You don't leave the most important decision in life to a mind that is not mature enough to handle it, let alone understand all the ramifications, all the things that are going to change in your life as you grow older. Your thinking is going to change. Your approach is going to change. There's lots of things involved in this. You haven't even got there yet as a child. A child simply is not experiencing life enough in its challenges and the implications and consequences of his actions. He hasn't even been tested by all of life's major situations. We have an article in the Coming Up magazine, which, by the way, is a little slow in coming, but we're going to get it out because of all the work we've been doing trying to get things ready. It's just monumental. I mean it, but without, like I said, the, the great help from volunteers, there's no way. There's no way we could have done it. But anyway, uh, this article in the uh, RT is on the dangers of social media and the effects too much time spent on devices has on a child's development. Very interesting, fascinating, very true. Before immersion is the all-important command to repent. How can a child repent if he doesn't understand what it means and all of its ramifications? The hormones are a bit too strong. In adolescence, sometimes they can't be handled. They can't be controlled. That's not criticism. That's just fact because of how we humans are built. Okay, so how do we as parents raise up a child to fear Yahweh and seek to obey him? How do we do that? The two basic characteristics every parent must be fully aware of before they seek to raise a child. They must take a look First, at themselves as teachers. Look at yourself first. First to consider is their attitude and resolve as parents and their personal motivation to train up a child the way he should go. Second is the example they themselves set in their own lives. Children cannot be an afterthought. That's the problem with our culture. Too many times they're just afterthoughts. Attitude and example are key ingredients to the child-rearing process. Two most important factors for successful child-rearing, other than, of course, the biblical mandates and the biblical samples, examples. A subset of that involves being there for the child. AWOL parenting, where both parents are, let the child fend for himself or herself, is not child-rearing. It's child endangerment, a cop-out, of abdicating sacred responsibility. You can't do it. You've got to be involved with your children. Where does that, where does that lead? Our direct result of MIA parenting is the appalling things we see going on in big cities, especially Chicago. The crime wave happening each weekend. So far, 2,000 people have been shot in Chicago Since the beginning of the year, 375 had died. Who's committing these crimes anyway? Is it 50, 60, 70-year-olds out there in their gangs shooting up the neighborhood? No. 80% of murders are between the ages of 17 and 35. Children that have not been reared properly. I don't know if you remember the uh, news account where this mother goes out, her, her son was actively involved in some kind of crime on the street. Mother goes right out there, grabs him by the ear, pulls him back to the house and said, enough of this stuff. And it worked. The, the crime stopped. Amazing. When someone takes a stand and does something about it, what can happen? What can change? If the answer is bring in more cops, well, that's a Band-Aid Solution, it's not going to last long. Become real caring parents is the answer. Strong parenting is the answer. It's a spiritual problem that takes a spiritual solution. What's wrong with the parents of these delinquents? Where are the parents, specifically the fathers? Many are just as irresponsible and immature as their child or they would man up and be fathers. Calling these parents adults is a big big stretch. Just because you can have a child doesn't mean you should. And when you do, you could be delinquent yourself. 
Attitude is important. If you don't care enough about the well-being of your child to be there in his life, nothing else really matters. He's going to be raising himself. He might as well be in an orphanage somewhere raising himself. You have an awesome responsibility by Yahweh. And if you don't take take him up on it, you've already failed as a parent. You are a parenting flop, a loser, a deadbeat, if you're not there for your children. And the child isn't fooled by parents who just fake it. They can see right through that kind of thing. You know, they, they, they know. They're the first one to recognize hypocrisy. They say, you want to know the parent? Look at the child. See how they have fared day in and day out with that parent. The parent must care about his child enough to be there. And that means to love your child. Be proactive in his life. Take a vital interest in that life. Don't just think the child can sense when mom and dad don't care or love him, which will counter every effort to properly train and guide the child. He senses it. If you have genuine all-out love for your child, much of the child bearing will take care of itself because love will work through that. You won't have to be told. Your love will bring you to it, bring you to the task. So do our words and actions show our children we love them? Do we take time to show we care for them, encourage them, praise them, and also discipline them? It's all part of it. Do we expect them to show us due respect as the authority given by Yahweh to shape their lives and as he commands them to respect their parents? Ephesians 6, 2-3, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. See, personal benefit comes back to you. You'll have a long life. I know how many believers live long lives because they are believers. They're blessed because of it. You'll live long life if you respect your parents. And that means not just till you're 20 and out of the house, not just when you get married and have your own kids. You still respect your parents. When they're in the nursing home, when they're on their deathbed, you still respect your parents. There's no cutoff time for this. As long as you live, you respect your parents, or as long as they live. And even after that, you speak well of your parents. It's a commandment with promise. You want that promise of a long life? If a father or mother is honorable, he or she will be honored. Guarantee you that. The second critical characteristic of righteous parenting is teaching by example. If you don't practice what you preach, you will quickly show the error of your ways, you'll destroy your credibility with your child, then what do you got? When it comes to behavior, children will do what you do far more than what you tell them to do. This idea, don't do as I do, do as I say, is, is, uh, is hypocritical. Think about it. Is conveying to your child that what I'm telling you really isn't that important or else I do it myself. It also teaches the child to be duplicitous. Say one thing, do another. You've got to live the life that you want your children to live. You've got to do it yourself. Busy parents are not going to like this. What I'm going to say next, and that is that there's no substitute for time spent with their children. There are no shortcuts. Time is life. For children, our time spent with them makes us as parents become an intricate part, an intimate part of their lives. That should be self-evident, but it seems in our culture today when children are at best simply an annoyance or at worst a problem to avoid, how can we expect a good outcome from that? So we come up with buzzwords to uh, excuse and compensate for being too busy to be a parent, like spending a few minutes of quality time. That one always kills me. As if that's going to make up for all the AWOL 
and doing what you'd rather do yourself. Listen, parents, all time you spend with your children is quality time. And the more, you ta- more time you spend with them, the further reaching and longer lasting it's going to be in their life. The reverse is true as well. And the more success you're going to have. That's just fact. More than once we've been asked how, you know, what's your example? You and Margie, what's your example? Both your children grew up in the love for Yahweh. How did that happen? I'm having problems with my children. How did you do it? Tell you what, tell you one of the things we did, besides being in the assembly, bringing the kids to the assembly every Sabbath, not sitting home and, I just, I don't feel like going today. We made it an intricate part of our lives. Margie and I spent tons of time with them, and they with us. We did almost everything together. And this really sounds crazy, but they would go with us grocery shopping. And they would go with us grocery shopping when they're 17 and 18 years old, believe it or not. Maybe it's because of what they got from, I don't know. But they were always there. When are we going to go shopping? They enjoyed it. Nothing wrong with that. So... But the tradition of family worship was was key to everything. And it's what I received from my parents. I passed it on. Margie as well with her parents. It's a wonderful blessing when you see a lifelong sacrifice paying off in big dividends through your child's life and the values they have and the love they have for Yahweh. Take lots of time for your children. Eat together. Talk with them. Shut off the stupid device and talk with them at the supper table when you're out working together, when you're out recreating together. Talk with them. Discuss what's happening in their lives. Guide them with your counsel. They may pretend like, especially teenagers, they're not listening. That's mom and dad, you know. They're listening. Oh, yeah, they're listening. And they're learning, even though they may not act like it because that's not too cool, you know. It's like... It's like a child, uh, I don't know if we had this in our family, but I know uh, my, one of my family members, my sibling, uh, we had an old, old, old Ford, 1948. We called it the Butch. Now, this was in the 1960s, so it was, you know, it was still pretty old. When mom would drive us to school, my sister would have her park at least a block away, so they, they couldn't see the Butch. It didn't bother me. I, I was just the opposite. I like it to put it in their face. You know, I'd stand out there, maybe turn around, look at my car. And I was just a rabble rouser in that regard. I was a, I was a conforming nonconformist, but uh, it bothered my sister. Don't tell her that when she comes. So you may, she may wonder what I'm talking about. I'm sure she's watching. She watches almost every Sabbath. But anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's important that the children have respect for you and you know, your family. And it was a family tradition that we did things together. So we ate lots, lots of meals together, always, I guess. And uh, your children must know that they can confide in you as well. Have them put down the device and have real conversations with you. That's becoming a real problem. They had a, uh, uh, a youth uh, camp out or whatever uh, this year. And uh, one of the things that the I think Jessica can vouch for that. Uh, the counselor said, we're locking up all the devices. We're not going to be sitting there while we're talking to you and you're, you're busy doing this. We're not doing that. They locked them up. I imagine it made a difference. I, it had to have made a difference. Oh, really? I know how to talk. Oh, really? I can converse. You know, I mean, it's amazing. But anyway, the, uh, the principle of spending lots of time with your children is so critical that Yahweh commanded it to the very nation of Israel. What did he say? Deuteronomy 11, 18, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which Yahweh swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. Another interesting thing, he said the land, you'll be prosperous in the land when you have children that obey. What's happening with our, with our nation? 
we're experiencing serious problems because we got children that aren't being raised right or not being raised at all. Children also need a pattern to pattern their lives after. What better pattern is their, their loving parents? The natural choice because the parents should care the most. You know, it used to be because of so many lawsuits, it isn't that way anymore. But I remember going to the store and some kid was acting up and the guy, just another shopper, corrected him. said, stop that. The kid stopped it. Anymore, he'd probably get sued. What are you trying to do, you know? What are you trying to do to my child? People used to look out for each other. We don't see that anymore. People are afraid to do that, and I can see why. So we'd let the little monster continue on doing what he's doing, and nothing changes. Children need to have the right pattern. They need to have discipline. Two sad situations that I, in my life, I know of two families where the fathers just one day with children decided to take off and never be seen or heard from again. Just gone. Leave the family. Just take off. Leaving their devastated wives and aching broken children with a monumental prospect of trying to pick up the pieces and go forward without dad. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. And you probably don't either. Trying to survive the rest of their lives. Mom isn't even working in both those cases. Had to somehow fend for themselves. I'd like to be there to watch these pathetic excuses for fathers stand before the judge of the universe with every molecule in their bodies vibrating in fear a billion times a second in face of this awesome power of the universe asking him, explain yourself. I don't, very, very few things are more egregious than that. I just can't understand it. As for the big city murder sprees, get those lazy men off their lazy boys and back involved in their boys' upbringing. You created them, now man up and start being a father. Start raising them. If you don't, the street gangs will, and then you're going to be reading it on page one of the newspaper, another killing. That's what it leads to. Close interaction with your children will provide a strong framework for life. They need that comfort of knowing the limits. They need to know. They feel secure when they know how far they can go and can't go. They need that. They have to have that for a, for a uh, healthful life. When a child shares with a problem he had with a playmate or a classmate or something or other friend, it's a perfect opportunity to talk to them about the scriptures and how to respond to that. So next time they'll be ready to respond in the right way. It'll equip them with a proper reaction and behavior next time something like that occurs. You know, life is a daily construction project, isn't it? Each experience builds on the last. If they have nothing to build on, what's going to happen? Of all the things a parent can do to rear righteous children is spending time with them as the most crucial thing they can do. If they're being good examples as well. That presupposes they're also, you know, showing them how to do things right. Too many parents have the wrong priorities. Children do not equate parental love with earning a good income. They don't see the connection between giving them things and loving them. A lot of parents try to do it that way. They try to win their love with things that don't connect with them. I remember, I think I already mentioned this, um, a U.S. diplomat, I even forgot his name now, but anyway, he, he, uh, he was over in Europe and uh, had his son with him, and he said, uh, uh, had to spend, went out with my son fishing, and what a wasted day. And his son wrote in his diary, went fishing with my dad today, the greatest time of my life. 
you don't realize how the children are impacted. Their fresh minds are soaking it up like sponges. And they remember things so vividly. You give them a gift, what do they do? They play with the box that it came in. They have different priorities. Sharing our lives with our children is the most valuable gift we can ever give them. To raise well-being, adjusted, righteous children, they're a blessing to Yahweh and a blessing to the parent as well. I mean, you, re- you reap the re- not only Yahweh, but you reap the rewards too by having obedient children and children that care. What a miraculous gift creating a human being is. Even the angels can't do that. What a gift. What a responsibility to have the ability to direct a life for life because it starts in adolescence as babies and it goes up from there. For the rest of their life, you have the responsibility to steer that life in the right way. Life is a series of ups and downs. So what about the difficult times? Our actions and reactions leave lasting impressions that will either bless or scar for the rest of our lives. We need to realize that children are extremely impressionable. What happens in their formative years is going to be a part of their memory for the rest of their life. And it could scar them or it could help develop and enhance their life. My father told me that one of the only memories he had of his own father, who died when my dad was five years old, was being kicked up the stairs and having this giant hand reach for him as he was hiding under the bed so my, my grandfather could pull him out and beat him some more because he was in a drunken stupor. So that's that's, that's the, one of the only, can you imagine, one of the only memories he has of his dad. Sad, very sad. Of course, I never knew my grandfather. He was long gone by the time I was born, but I would have loved to at least get to know him, maybe, you know, work something out. But he was, uh, he was an alcoholic. It's sad. Parents must carefully consider the consequences of the words and actions they have on their children. They may be very upset when a child makes a mistake, but how you react is going to be a lot more important than that little mistake, that misbehavior. Handled wrongly, it could destroy a child's feelings as if he were an altogether rotten, worthless person. Be careful. Be careful how you discipline. Do it in righteousness, but don't overreact to the point of damage. You know, a biblical example of poor parenting is Eli or Ellie. As a priest, he was a very effective teacher and guide for little Samuel. Wasn't his son, but he was a guide for him under the elderly man's guidance, along with the solid foundation of Samuel's parents, Elkanah and Hannah. Samuel grew in favor with both Yahweh and with men. 1 Samuel 2.26 Every year at the feast, Hannah would come and visit her son Samuel. Yet Eli had neglected the proper raising of his own two sons. We remember them, who perverted temple service to satisfy their own wickedness. Hophni and Phinehas. Eli discovered the sins of his own sons, but his discipline was no more than a mild rebuke. These guys... We're way over the edge. They did whatever they wanted in the temple. Could imagine, because they were the priest's sons. He discovered the sins of his own sons, but his discipline was wimpy. He was a wimp. With no respect for their father, they ignored him until Yahweh judged them and killed him in battle, his two sons. Yahweh held Eli directly responsible for their evil actions because he failed to discipline them. He failed. 
And this problem surrounded Eli's sons would change a nation's entire government. Do you realize that? A structure from judicial rule to a monarchy. How, you ask? Well, another amazing anomaly. When Samuel was old, about 65, he, not Yahweh, made his sons judges over Israel. The sons of Samuel walked not in the ways of the father, but went after filthy lucre, taking bribes and perverting judgment. It was this bad behavior of his grown-up offspring that changed history. The children of priests and prophets, no less, that caused Israel to say, we've had enough of that. We want a king. And Yahweh says, and Samuel goes to Yahweh and says, what do we do? What do we do? What do, we do? What do we? Yahweh says, let them have a king. Warn them what's going to happen if they have a king, but go in. Let them have it. Let's see what it's like. See the comparison. So he did. And you know what happened with Saul. The result was a system of government in Israel that resulted in countless problems and suffering. A system Yahweh did not want them to have. That is, separation of church and state. That wasn't Yahweh's plan. It's not what Yahweh wanted. He wanted a righteous ruled biblical state, not secular and religious, basically. Under the judges, the religious and the civil sectors were united. Under a king, you had secular and religious separation, producing a natural conflict of mores and values. You got man's ideas against Yahweh's ideas that way. What happened to our country? Separation of church and state. What happened? What happened not long ago? Legalizing sodomite marriages. The state had no business doing that. That's an that's a ethical, moral, spiritual issue. Not a civil one. They tried to make it a civil one, but it's not. But here it is. We have to live with it. This was the same reason, the abuse of religious power by the Church of England, that led to our own governmental system in the USA. They said, we can't handle this anymore. We're going to a new place. We're going to America. Because of the, the uh, problems with the Church of England and their, their overrule. On the other side of the coin is when parents are too supercharged and expect the impossible from their children. You know, for balanced children, you have to have balanced discipline. Parents must show balance and love as well as discipline. Nothing wrong with discipline. Discipline is good in the right way, of course. But you have to have it. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admonition of Yahweh. That's the Amplified Bible. I think it's one of the more clear in that one. In other words, parents should be sure their children know. They know that a single mistake, even maybe a larger one, is not the end of the world and doesn't nullify their entire existence, but it's something that has to be dealt with. Of course, misbehavior must be dealt with to ensure it doesn't happen again. But that doesn't mean destroy your child in the process, in the heat of your own anger and frustration. It takes, again, it takes an attitude that says, I want to have righteous children and I got to watch myself as well in that regard. It also means don't set standards so high the child can never attain them. Talk to a brother. Privately one time, he was having problems, he asked, and so I went, talked with him, and he said, you know, And I know this is true because I know his dad. He said, throughout my life, I could not do one thing right. Not one thing did he ever compliment me for anything. And it just destroyed the poor kid. He grew up with hang-ups you wouldn't believe. That was not loving parenting. You've got to give them encouragement so they can, you know, grow and and flex their their desire, their... uh, what could you say? They're, they're growing, growing muscles. You know, they've got to be able to understand that 
doing right things is good too. And doing bad things is bad. But he said nothing was good enough. He carried with that, those, that animosity for years. Apparently still has it. I've heard parents in their anger tell their child that they're stupid and worthless, even using profanity. How would they like their boss to treat them that way? Swear at them. Tell them they're worthless. Think they'd, live, they'd be there very long? You think they'd keep that job very long? Well, children can't check out of the family, although some of them, I guess, run away. But think about it. Think of the long-term effects your words can have on a young, pliable mind. Before you speak, the old sticks and stones ditty is a bunch of nonsense. Words can hurt you, and often do. Be firm in your chastening, but also in love, and you get a well-balanced child, not a maladjusted individual that doesn't understand what happened who carries emotional scars with him the rest of his life or her life. Parents have an indelible or leave an indelible mark on their children. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Didn't mention his father, but he said your, your grandmother and your mother did it right. And that has impacted your life in the best ways. The best ways, Timothy. And now you're ready to go out and teach others as a minister. Timothy's grandmother, who had it initially, shared her faith with him, was able to pass it on to her daughter, who then passed it on to her son, Timothy. The true faith was passed down from a loving grandparent, strong in the faith strong morals, strong ethics, strong biblical standards, and it just exuded from her to this next generation. We often hear people speak highly of a grandparent who made a, a, such a mark on them that they remember that and, and you know, use it as support through life. This is a responsibility, not just an option of every parent. You shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Deuteronomy 6, 5, 7. You can always tell parents who do that, you know. You can always tell. You can always tell because their children will make... References to Yahweh, even when Yahweh isn't the subject. They still have it in their heart. They'll talk about Yahweh when Yahweh was not even brought up. This kind of teaching requires much more than a once a week session at Sabbath services. This instruction that Yahweh gives, of course, is, is important, but it's not everything. You can't expect the assembly to fix problems that you're not dealing with at home. They can help, but the assembly needs help too because they're not there 24-7 or 24-6. Yeah, they're their Sabbath anyway. But, uh, you know, learning and imply, applying Yahweh's laws of life in all circumstances is a lifelong objective, a lifelong effort. That's what we're here for. We're here to mold our lives into the uh, image of Yahshua the Messiah. And he gave us an example, just like parents give their children examples on how to live, how to react rightly in certain situations. And that only happens when you're involved with your children. Yahshua was involved with his disciples. Think about it. Day in, day out. They probably got up at 6 o'clock in the morning, probably had prayer. And then Yahshua says, okay, let's go out, learn some new things, face the world. So they go out there and they meet people that have problems, people that are sick, people that have all sorts of family issues, questions that they have. Yasha would face them head on, and guess what? Standing behind the whole time are his disciples, watching and learning, just like children do the same thing. 
Parenting is a blessing, a serious responsibility as well, and one that will have eternal consequences for you and your children. When you mold and shape your children's life, it's going to have important, serious consequences for him in this life and also in the one to come. That's how critical it is for a believer to raise up a child in the way he should go. We have to take it seriously. Always asking for Yahweh's guidance. We don't, you know, parents can make mistakes. I can think of some of the mistakes I made. I just, I couldn't believe what I did raising, you know, my children. But I didn't take a class. I didn't take a class in high school on raising children. I guess they do have some of that now. I hope it's all right, but I just flew by the seat of my pants. And by the example and the way that I was raised. And sometimes I think, you know, I think back on some of the mistakes my dad made, and then I realize, you know what? He didn't have a dad. No wonder he's going to make a few more mistakes because he didn't have a good example. He had one that all I can remember is something horrible. So, you know, we each are influenced by how we're brought up and we pass that on. If we are beaten by parents, oftentimes the same thing happens to the children. They get beaten too. That's the way we are. I mean, but we've got to break the cycle, especially in the assembly. Got to take it seriously and do it religiously. Do it every day. And you will have the kind of child that will honor you, honor Yahweh, and respect him and live for him, hopefully, the rest of his life. May Yahweh bless you.